You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. This morning, uh, I know it's uh, a day late, but uh, happy 4th of July to everybody. Y'all have a good 4th of July weekend. Lots of barbecues, <laughs> lots of food, I guess. We are starting a new series this morning. This will be a three-week sermon series. We've entitled this series, Why Me? And uh, this, this is on the theme of suffering. Everybody say suffering. Look at the person next to you. Tell that person suffering. Okay, so some of you are suffering right now from uh, physical pain. Some are suffering from emotional pain. Okay, so some are suffering... Uh, Financially and spiritually, we all experience different kinds of suffering in different degrees. But this is something that we all uh, live with um, on a daily basis. And it is important for us to have a proper theology on uh, suffering because most people, especially here in the West, most people, most Christians think that when you follow Jesus Christ, that life will be your best life now, and there won't be any troubles, there won't be any problems, there won't be any, uh, any uh, adversities or challenges. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you subscribe to that kind of quote-unquote Christianity? You see, Jesus didn't save us to fulfill your American dream. <laughs> Did you hear that? Because many of us, especially here in the West, we think the American dream is the gospel. That's not what it's about, okay? You know, Jesus saved us from our sins so that he can save us for his purpose as well. And as we live out this Christian life, as you are a follower of Christ, you will experience trouble. Jesus himself said that, that in this world you will have trouble, okay? How many of you wish that you could have a trouble-free life? You want it? I want that. But that's not the reality that we live in. That's a fantasy world, okay? Jesus didn't promise to give us a trouble-free life. He came to save us and to give us a trouble-proof life. That means we will go through troubles. We will go through trials. We will go through pain and suffering. And uh, there's something about suffering that, that brings about the purpose of God. And, and if you're one who always tries to escape hard things, let me tell you this, you will miss out on the opportunity for growth in your life. Because most people grow and most of the growth in people come through pain. How many of you build your, you know, you build your muscles? How many of you know that uh, if you don't experience pain, those muscles will not grow, right? I like what uh, Kurt Herbrooks, the coach of the, the winning U.S. hockey team in the 1980. Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. He said this when he was training his, his team of college students. He said, gentlemen, prepare to grow through pain. And we need to understand that life is filled with pain, whether you like it or not. And so if life is filled with pain, then we need to have a proper biblical understanding, a theology, so to speak, on suffering. Okay, so that we won't be caught wondering or surprised when something, when we go through pain and suffering as if something strange was happening to us. Okay, 
I want us to be prepared for that. Now, so we're going to talk about three things here for, for this series. Today, we're going to talk about the reality of suffering. Next week, we're going to talk about the reasons why we as believers go through suffering. And also, we're going to conclude with restoration after we have gone through suffering. Let me say this from the, from the onset. The good news is that suffering is not permanent. Isn't that good news? There is victory that awaits us. But there's just uh, something powerful when we go through pain and suffering. Uh, like one the slogan says, no pain, no gain. No guts, no glory. Those are cliches. <laughs> but uh, we're going to look at the book of Job. Now, we're not going to do a complete book study because... The book of Job has 42 chapters, and we only have three weeks to cover this. So we're going to cover basically the theme that is on the book. There, the book has plenty of themes. It, uh, one of the main themes of the, of the book of Job is on the theme of God's sovereignty. God is in control over all things. Okay, But one of the clear themes in this book, the book of Job, is that of suffering. Okay, So... Before we get into our text this morning, let me just give you a background on what the book of Job is about and who Job was. The book of Job is, again, one of the books in the Bible. It is the first of the poetic books uh, as recorded in the Bible. And many biblical scholars believe that it is one of the oldest, and if not, one of the first books that have ever been written. And the author is not known, but many Bible scholars believe that he was an Israelite because of the Jewish tones in, in, and also the use of metaphors and um, just how it, the Israelites would construct their sentences and they, how they would construct their poetry. So it's, it's widely conceded that its author was Jewish. And the purpose was not known, but uh, it's believed that this was written sometime in uh, 1500 B.C., okay? So it's an ancient book. And Job as a person, as a character, some people say that this Job, the, the person Job, was not a real character. He's a fictional character. But actually, in Ezekiel, and also some places in the Bible, in Ezekiel, the Lord himself, when he was speaking to the prophet and through the prophet Ezekiel, he spoke of Job as a person. As an actual person. So if the Lord said that he was an, an actual person, then he is. He was an historical person. Okay, So he was real. He existed. And um, the New Testament also refers to him as an actual historical figure. He was a non-Israelite, but he was a, a man who feared God, a man who loved God with a passion. And he also was a man who hated evil and wickedness and sin with a passion as well. So he followed God. And, and let me just go ahead and read to you some parts of the first chapter of Job, and then we're going to read our main text this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 1, it says there, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. So he was very wealthy. Okay? His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So he covered his family with, with prayers, and he made sure that he interceded for his family. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God, meaning the angels, okay, uh, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, who was the accuser, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. In other words, don't lay a hand on the man. You can touch his stuff, you can touch the things around him, but not the man. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And, and what happened here was that one day after this meeting in the heavens, Satan went out and then he attacked Job. He, one day, Job lost his, you know, his flock. They were raided by bandits. And then uh, his servants were killed. And then his children, who were at, in one house, at one time, had a, had a freak accident. All of them died, and all of this happened in one day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that happening to you? You lose your, you lose your source of income. You lose your, basically, all your servants and your status and your property. And then you lose your, your children, all your children. His children died that day. Can you imagine? How many of you have gone through something like that? Something close to that? Nothing remotely close, right? And Satan wanted to incite God, you know, wanted to say, to prove to God that the reason why Job is following you is because he blessed him. Remove your blessing and see if he will not curse you to your face. So Satan was actually accusing God that, that Job is not really righteous on his own. He is righteous only because, because of the good things around him. And so Satan was, was uh, attacking God through Job. Satan was hoping that Job would curse God. But here, our main text this morning. So I want us to read this. And uh, let's all stand right now. And this is our main text this morning to honor God's word. Job 1, verses 20 through 22. It says here, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. And fell on the ground and worshipped. This was after all these things happened. He tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. Verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, 
and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for you are good. You know all things. You know the things that are happening to us and around us. Lord, many times we don't understand what we are going through. And many times we question you. But Lord, you know what we're going through. And you see all our struggles. You feel our pain. But you allow these things to happen, Lord, for your purpose. And, and that purpose is good. Lord, help us to see beyond our circumstances. Help us to see beyond the pain. Help us to see beyond the suffering and the struggle. And help us to see your grace and your love and your purpose while we're going through these things. And help us to glorify you just like Job. That we would say, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. The title of my message this morning is The Reality of Suffering. We, you know, suffering is real. Okay, suffering is real. And I remember something similar to this probably, but not as close. But a close friend of mine, my wife knows this guy. He's a good friend of mine. He, we went to college together. We were in the same church. We were in Victory. And uh, during our, I think our college days, uh, his mother was going through chemotherapy, um, you know, because she had breast cancer. And um, she was, I think, stage, stage four at the time. So they were expecting her, you know, expecting the worst, but they're believing for the best. They're praying, and they were standing with him in prayer. And then all of a sudden, his father went down ill, and we found out that his father had lung cancer. And we found out that his father knew already knew for a long time that he had cancer, but because his wife had cancer, he didn't want to add, you know, any more grief to the family. But his cancer was more progressive than his wife's. And so he passed away before his wife. And then a month later, you know, the mom died, passed away from cancer. Both, you know, died from cancer, one from lung cancer, one from breast cancer. And my, my friend was devastated, and he was a close friend of mine. He was actually one of my two best men in, in our wedding. And I could see the devastation, and I could feel it, because we were close to this, to this family. You know, uh, we would always go to their house and eat there and hang out there until they wouldn't drive us away. <laughs> but we stayed there long enough. And we felt, um, I felt my friend's pain. And, you know, he would run to me. You know, I would console him, and I, I said, you know, I can't even imagine what you're going through. But he didn't curse God. And he even became a pastor in victory. And, and he served as a missionary for, for, for a time. Now he's in business right now, and he's doing great. But he's serving God. And he's never blamed God for what has happened. When we planted the church in Quezon City, in UP, in the University of the Philippines in Diliman, so my wife was there, um, one of the freshman students we were discipling there, she was, a, you know, she was a brilliant woman. So if you're from the University of the Philippines, that means you're brilliant. Okay, so, and all UP people say, <laughs> no one saying amen? Okay. So she was a brilliant young woman, 
and brilliant student, you know, and she loves God, but she originally was from the province, but she was studying in UP Diliman. So now there was a Christian minister who visited the Philippines and was going to have a conference. And so her parents, you know, went to Manila to attend this conference together with, I think, uh, Han, do you remember, uh, was the brother there as well? So the parents, her parents and her brother, there's only two of them. So this brother and this student that I'm talking about. And um, in this conference, the hotel was paid for in a generous gesture of the, of the conference speaker. So a lot of the pastors and church leaders from different parts of the Philippines, were, they were, their hotel was taken care of. So they were staying in this hotel and a fire broke out. And both her parents and her brother perished in the fire. You may have heard of this before. I mean, and all of a sudden, this freshman student, I think she was a sophomore at the time, was now an orphan. All of a sudden, just like that. Now, those are devastating things. And you wonder, I mean, my friend was a Christian, strong Christian. This girl is I'm talking to you about was a Christian. And yet, why would those things happen to people who follow God? See, suffering, let me say this, suffering comes to everybody, not just to wicked people. Suffering is a result of the fall of man. Because of sin, when sin entered, suffering became part of the experience, the life of man. The Lexham Theological Word Book describes suffering as anything that a person or group experiences over a prolonged period that causes pain or discomfort. Suffering as a biblical concept can include physical pain or sickness, emotional grief, or a sense of hopelessness. You know, suffering comes to all, whether you're a good person or a bad person, whether you're a wicked person or a saint whether you're a believer or a non-believer. It's not a question of if it comes. It's a question of when. And we all will encounter suffering uh, in various degrees. So how do we respond when this happens to us? Like I said, it began in the fall of man, when man sinned. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, talking about Adam when he sinned, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And because of the entry of sin, the reality of suffering is now something every person is, is going to have to live with, whether they believe it or not, whether they like it or not. How many of you have experienced suffering at some point in your life? Okay. Some people said, you know, when I, when I got engaged, I got an engagement ring. And then when, when we got married, we got a wedding ring. And now that we're married, now we have suffering. <laughs> some of you, it's going to some of you, it's, uh, it's going to get to you, okay? So just think about it. <laughs> that was a joke, okay? So, okay, let's pray for a joke that just died. <laughs> anyway, suffering is part of life. And now the question now is, why do righteous people suffer. A lot of people ask this, 
Why is there suffering in the world? If God is a God of love, then why is there suffering in the world? Okay, we can answer that. The Bible answers that. But here's where I want to focus in. If you're a believer, sometimes you wonder, if, if I follow Jesus, you know, I go to church, I, I tithe, I read my Bible, I pray, I teach people about God, I go to our victory group, I do all the Christian things, and, and I experience these things. Lord, do I deserve these things? Why do you allow believers to suffer? Haven't you wondered about that? Have you wondered about that or not? I thought this thing will not happen to me. And it's because of a, a false understanding of the gospel. And like I said, many people here in America think that the American dream is the gospel. That having a big house and having being blessed all the time. Everywhere you go, it's blessed. It's your best life now. I'm, and we bought into the idea that... The American dream, being prosperous all the time and having no problems, that is what Christianity is all about. That's why when, when we're hit with a trial, when we're hit with, a, with an adversity, when we go through pain and suffering, we go, it doesn't make sense. Are you tracking here with me? It should make sense because suffering is part of life, whether you're a believer or not. Now, though Job did not charge God with wrong, this question, was basically, his, this was his question. Lord, I just want to understand why. I, I, I don't know if I, I know I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Let, Lord, please help me understand what did I do to deserve this? But he's not questioning God. He just wants to understand why. And it's interesting as you read the book of Job. God doesn't tell him why. And many times in life, you see, God doesn't owe it to us to explain himself to us. How many of you would say with me, God knows what's best? Do you really believe that? If you believe that, then if something bad happens to you, would you still trust God? Yes, of course, because he knows what's best. Now, would you hold him hostage and say, Lord, I'll follow you if you just tell me why I'm going through this? Many times we want to know why, right? But many times we can't comprehend why. We just have to trust God in the process, whether he explains it to us or not. So why do the righteous suffer? Here's a simple answer. The righteous suffer because God allows it. Tell the person next to you, make sure he's not asleep or she's not asleep. God allows it. God allows you to go through suffering. Ouch. I don't think this is the, is, is this the church? I don't, this, is not a, this is not a kind of message I want to hear. <laughs> it's important to develop a proper theology on suffering, a biblical understanding, so that we will be victorious. We believe in the victory of Christ in our lives. That's why we call this church victory. You know, we didn't want to call this church defeated church of the Bay Area. We believe in Jesus' victory. But how many of you know, will there be victory if there's no battle? Come on now. There is victory when there's a struggle, when there's a battle. And then you win. You overcome. You experience pain in the process. But you overcome. You grow. Now, because of the wrong understanding of, of Christianity and of the gospel and of suffering... 
that many people have, many people react differently when they go through suffering and they have wrong reactions. That's, a, that's some of those, okay? Some wrong reactions to suffering. First is resentment, okay? In Job chapter 2, says there, Then his wife said to him, this is Job's wife, after everything has happened, <laughs> Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Your integrity means nothing now. We've lost everything. That's what she's saying. Curse God and die. Hopeless. Right? Because everything went south for you. All the things you dreamed of did not happen. And you're in pain. Many people conclude this. God's mad at me or God doesn't love me or he does not exist at all. And they curse God. And they wish God away. Thinking that by wishing him away that he will never exist. This is a reaction of people. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Now that kind of doesn't make sense. But in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Isn't that amazing? But see, his wife was filled with resentment. Many of us react by resenting God. You see, I do all these things. I go to church and then he allows these things to happen to me. Second wrong reaction is that people become afraid of God or they are terrified of God. Okay? Job 23 says this, But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. Verse 14, For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore I am terrified at his presence when I consider I am in dread of him. They respond wrongly by becoming afraid of God, thinking that their suffering is because God wants to punish them and wipe them out, and they're terrified. Third response, wrong response, is that they argue with God. Job chapter 40, verse 2 says this, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So people argue with God. I don't like this anymore. Another one is that people envy the wicked. They suffer. I'm righteous. And look at those guys. They don't even follow you. And they have the nicest cars, the nicest houses, the best looking wives, husbands, partners, spouses. They have all the best friends. Look at that. And all the nicest clothes. They have all the money in the world, and they, they, they even spurn you, and yet they live in blessing. <laughs> self-pity. You have a self-pity party with yourself. Psalm 73 says this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How many of you know a lot of people who don't love God, and yet they live in affluence? Unfair, right? And lastly, disillusionment. People are disillusioned. I did this for God and I served Him and I suffer. I wasted my life. I wasted all my efforts. My efforts are for naught. What a waste of time. What a waste of my money. What a waste of my resources. What a waste of my emotions. They're disillusioned. Psalm 73 says this. 
All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I've kept my hands clean. My heart is clean. I'm innocent. I've maintained the standard, but it's all in vain. Disillusion. These will be your responses when you misunderstand the gospel or you don't see suffering the way God sees it. So it's important we see suffering from God's perspective, human suffering. Okay, So we're going to look at the Christian and suffering. So all, let me say this, this may shock you, all suffering comes within God's will. Why, why, why did I say that? Because he allows you to go through suffering. He allows you to experience pain. Many times to discipline us. And many times he doesn't explain why. But we just have to trust him. John 9, verse 3 says this. Jesus, it was not that this man, he was asked, Master, Rabbi, who sinned that this man is paralyzed or blind or, or this man is, has this illness? Was it he or his parents? And here's Jesus' answer. Neither of them. It was not that his parents, this man sinned, nor his parents. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. What? What? God allowed him to be sick for all his life? Why would, why would God allow that? So that on this day, his, God's glory will be revealed. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, According to the purpose of him, see, God has a purpose for us, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not according to, what do you guys think? He's not going to come here. How many of us are here? Let's say 130 people. He's not going to, okay, what do you think? Guys, I'm God, and uh, I'm going to do something, but uh, I need majority's approval. Will he do that? If he does that, then he's not God. Okay, so... Everything he does, he has a purpose, and it's according to the counsel of his will, not according to the opinions of man. Okay? And he allows things to happen because there is a purpose for it. Okay? As a matter of fact, here's another scripture here. Philippians 1.29. How many of you are believers in Jesus? Here's what's waiting for you. For it has been granted to you. In the NIV version says this. For it has been appointed to you. That for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him. But also suffer for his sake. What? What in the world? I don't want to believe Christianity anymore. When we look at the Bible we just think that you know. I just choose the things I like here. But the things that go beyond me. That go, I don't want to deal with that. Like, you know, with patience. God teaches patience. You see, Christianity is not, not a buffet, you know. You know. I like that. I like a lot of that. No, none of that. No, no onions, no, no lettuce, no salads for me. Give me all that, those hot dogs. See, you, we don't pick and choose what we like. We receive everything God has to say, the things we like and the things that make us uncomfortable. But we have to trust that he will give us the understanding for those things, okay? It's been appointed. See, as you read the entire New Testament, you will notice that suffering 
is regarded by the New Testament as a privilege that you suffer for the name of Christ, that you are counted worthy. You see, when, when the disciples, when Peter and the other disciples were imprisoned, and they were flogged and they were beaten up. How many of you like to be beaten up and flogged? I don't like that. But they were flogged because they were believers in Christ. And when they were released, they were joyful. Why? Because they counted it worthy. You know, they were joyful because they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It doesn't make sense. But there's something that they see that people don't see. That they consider it an honor and a privilege. If you're a secret service man and your, your detail is to protect the President of the United States, what is it that you, the most honorable thing that you can do? Take a bullet. It's an honor to take a bullet for the President. If we can do that for a man, how much more worthy is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who suffered so that we can be set free from sin? Amen? Now, let me ask you this. Would you rather suffer for Jesus or suffer in eternity apart from him? Which suffering would you like? We suffer for Jesus, right? That's, that's a no-brainer. You see, it was through the suffering of Christ that our salvation was made possible. In James chapter 1, says there, verses 3 and 4, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when you suffer, you persevere. And when you persevere, it produces character in you that allows you to have the, the privilege of becoming mature and perfect in Christ. There's something valuable that you can only get when you go through suffering. That's why people who want to, who want to always take the easy way out, they rarely get the treasure. They rarely get the gems. They rarely get the great things God wants you to have. First Peter, I love this passage. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, our suffering, all our suffering will be temporary, but it accomplishes for us something far greater than the life that we have. It's going to have eternal impact and glory. It's producing for us a glory that far outweighs our suffering. And God wants us to share in that. For us to share in that, then we have to suffer. My son Josh up there, he's uh, buffing up because he's, he's going to be part of, the, he's part of the football team. And for you to be part of the football team, you have to be strong. So he's doing a lot of, you know, conditioning and he goes home. You know, in, in the gym, he goes, ah! and then his uh, friends are going, you can do it. Ah! When he comes home, I'm tired. <laughs> his body is aching. But because of that, he's becoming stronger and stronger. That's what happens. When you go through pain, you become stronger when you know how to respond. Okay? And Christian suffering produces fruit. Now, I want us to go through 
just the responses, the proper responses. See, suffering produces character in us, and let's go through our response to suffering, okay? First is that we submit to God. When we're suffering, we reverently submit to Him. Job chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. In any case, blessed be the name of the Lord. May his name be praised. Whatever he does, it's not for my convenience. It's not about me. It's his purpose. Let his name be praised. Are we like that? When we are suffering, let's submit to God and have that kind of attitude. 1 Peter 4.19 says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, first, you know, Peter, in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, talks about suffering. If you're suffering because of your foolishness, because of your sin, then there's nothing you know, there, but God's still, still going to use that to bring you back to him. But if you're suffering because of his will, entrust your, your soul to him. He is a faithful creator. Okay, this is next is related to the first one. As you submit to God, you trust Him. You don't have to understand why. I love a song came out in the 90s by a Christian group called For Him. And the title of the song is Why. And it goes, I wonder why when the rainy days seem to come, when the storm clouds hide the sun, I want to know why. Though down here I may not understand, I will not let go of your unseen hand. For it holds the reasons why. See, I may not understand, Lord, but you understand. So it'll be foolish for me to let go of you. It's going to be wise for me. Even if I don't understand, I will trust in you and hold on to you all the more. Because you know why. And you allow this suffering in my life for a purpose, and that purpose is good for me. Amen? And Jesus was a great example of this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. How many of you, when you're driving, you're cut off? And your instinct is to go and do the same thing, right? There was one time I was having a bad day, and then the traffic was bad, and then and this guy cuts me off, and, and while he cuts me off, he flips me off. I go, Lord, just this once, I'll repent later. <laughs> and God says, nope, Suffer. Well, Lord, he doesn't even know I'm a Christian. Endure. What's the purpose of that? It's going to develop patience in you. It's going to develop self-control. It's going to develop love. And then later on, the guy who cuts me, I'm beside him. And the temptation is there to really... <laughs> but no, God's watching. When I got home, I'm glad I didn't do it. I'm glad I didn't do it. Saying, God, thank you so much. There was one time somebody cut me off, and I wanted to. Be, I was so mad, I wanted to scream and you know just tell him off. And then he comes out. He took my parking spot, and then what? And then he comes off. The, Hi, Pastor Neil. He's from church. Hi. <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen here. It happened in the Philippines. Ago. And another time, somebody cut me off, took my parking spot, and again, I was so mad. I was going to tell him, I, was, I rolled my, my window down, and it was one of our pastors. <laughs> Bro, you just took my spot. Trust God. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, was, when he suffered, he did not threaten. 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We all know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Amen? Lastly, pray. There are some more responses, okay? I just want to enumerate three today. Pray. When you're suffering, don't complain. Don't, go, don't be like Muttley. For those of you who are my age, you know who Muttley is, right? The guy, the Dick Dassardly's uh, Mutt, who's always complaining. Don't be like Muttley. You look like Muttley if you complain, okay? But when you're suffering, don't complain. Pray. Submit yourself to God, trust God, and pray. It says there, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Jesus said this, I have said all these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Suffering is a reality, see? But God promises victory. But just like Job, we are to trust God in our suffering. As I wind down, George MacDonald said this, The Son of God suffered unto the death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his that they would follow in his footsteps. That's why Jesus calls us to take up our crosses and die to ourselves. Because when you follow Christ, you're going to be reviled. You're going to be suffering because the world will reject you. But it's not you they're rejecting, they're rejecting Christ. So prepare yourselves for that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, our high priest, he's God, he became man, and he experienced all the temptation, and yet he did not sin. And he intercedes for us. So don't think that the temptation is too great. There's someone interceding for you. There's someone standing with you and telling you you can do it, and he gives you his grace so that you can stand and say no. Ungodliness. All you need to do is fix your eyes on Him, not on the problem, not on the pain, not on the suffering. Fix your eyes on Him. The Bible says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He will finish what He has started in you. He gives you victory. Amen. So, we're going to look at the reasons for suffering next week. We're, we haven't answered the question, Why? Why does God allow righteous people to suffer? We just looked at the nature of suffering from a biblical perspective. But I want to leave you with this thought. Let's all stand right now as we close and pray. See, genuine faith. See, God allows you to go through suffering because there's something he's producing in you. And that thing is what will carry you through to, through more suffering, but yet you will experience victory. Come on now. And he is producing that which is eternal. And when you are used to that which is eternal and you're growing in that faith that is eternal, then that faith is what will cause you to overcome the world. The Bible promises. What is it that overcomes the world? It's our faith in Christ. And that's what Jesus is producing. That's why when you go through suffering and He allows it, He is producing a gem in you. A precious thing that can never be taken away. Even by the sufferings. That's why no, no amount of persecution or suffering or trial or tribulation or attacks of the devil 
can separate you from His love. And it's that faith that's going to latch on to that love of Christ. Amen? And here, genuine faith or trust in God is revealed. It's tested and is strengthened through suffering. That's what God's producing in us. A faith that overcomes the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are a good God, a great God, merciful God. We thank you that your, your wisdom is so great that we can't fathom your wisdom, but your wisdom proves to be for our benefit. And Lord, we thank you that you work all things for our good, as we sang a while ago. You work all things for our good. You work all things for the good of those who, who love you or called according to your purpose. No matter what we are going through right now, no matter what kind of suffering we're going through right now, Lord, help us to see past the pain and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who suffered for us so that we don't have to suffer etern eternally apart from you. And Lord, that we pray that we would be like him, that we would count it a privilege and a joy to suffer for the name of Christ, that Jesus may receive the reward of his suffering. And Lord, let that faith that you're developing in us be, be seen and let it grow more and more, that it may honor you, that we, it may reveal you to the world. Lord, we just thank you. We pray that you would help us in our time of suffering, right? If you're suffering, whatever kind of suffering or trial that you're going through, right, and it's heavy, Jesus is calling to you. All of you are heavily laden and weary. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus now, and he will give you victory in the midst of your suffering, that you're going to be like him. So Lord, today I pray for those who are suffering. May they glorify you as they submit to you, trust you, and pray that your will be done in their lives. And may you be honored in their response. And Lord, be the one to give them victory in their suffering. For your glory and honor, we pray this in Jesus' name.